Hello. Hello. How are you doing? I'm good. How are you? I'm okay. I'm a little bit conscious, though, that I've got the window cleaner cleaning the window right next to me. Oh, right fancy. Now. So um, I'm trying to ignore the brush, the phantom okay. brush and the sound <laughs> of the brush against the window. It's like <laughs> ASMR, but um, Chioma-style window cleaning. <laughs> I've got to say hello, listeners. So welcome, listeners. Welcome. Um, welcome to episode 21. <gasps> Can't how... believe it. No, how did that happen? Um, well, we recorded 21 times. But, yeah, crazy. This girl. This girl. <laughs> You're listening to the Women Who Rebrand podcast. Honest and humorous conversations all about the natural and individual transitional phases people experience to grow, start over or rebrand to become their most authentic selves. Hosted by former mummy bloggers Sarita Fontaine and Chioma Olalei and guest featuring professional rebranders. You can find us on Instagram at Women Rebranded. So this week, um, we've got a special guest, see? Yeah, we do. We have Tamu Thomas from Live360. Now, um, did we have her on the previous podcast that we don't discuss, but we do quite often? No. And as I say that, I'm thinking in my mind of the Bugs Bunny meme. Um, that's so random <laughs> listeners sorry if you can't picture what I'm talking about but I, I love that meme so no we wanted to have her on but we didn't ever get round to it and then we changed oh, we rebranded so we've re-branded. got it this time yeah oh fantastic mm. fantastic well I'm looking forward to this I think um, it's going to be good definitely so- for those who are not aware of the brand Live360, um, Tamu is an emotional well-being coach and a purveyor of joy, which I think um, isn't a bad job, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> well, it sounds like a pretty enjoyable job. Right? Um, yeah, something that would bring you an immense amount of happiness. That's what it sounds like to me anyway. Which I'm all about, and I think this is what, well, no, I know what this is. This episode is about. This is what this episode is about, is bringing joy into your life and choosing yourself, mm. being selfless. That's what that means, right? Selfless and not selfish. No, selfless isn't choosing yourself. Selfless oh, is not choosing yourself. <sighs> oh, man. Wrong. But Tammy's going to tell us all about what it is about. Okay. So by the end of this episode, we're going to know the difference between selfless and choosing yourself. Right. So the opposite to selfish. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Ish. <laughs> oh, no, wait. oh my gosh, I'm quite entirely wrong. Yeah. Yeah. So being selfish, but mm. not the. Not the um, not in a negative connotation. Way. Exactly, exactly. We got there in the yeah, end. Yeah. See, yeah. I'm still on painkillers from last week, so <laughs> my brain is like Skittles oh, and no. fried eggs. Oh, okay? bless you. We'll take it gentle. So, what areas of your life do you um you you you're selfish in a positive way? <laughs> do you know what? I've started being a little bit more selfish this year, um, mm-hmm. in uh, that I'm now 
trying to look after my physical and mental well-being mm. so I, I think a lot of us just let ourselves go during covid like there was nothing to do apart from sit in the house and eat and watch box sets and all of that kind of stuff so mm-hmm. it became very difficult to or for me let me speak for myself to um <laughs> to challenge myself physically I just I just let it all go right. so now I'm putting the time in to my diary to go to the gym to do something that just you know makes me feel a little bit more alive than just sitting in my office all day long on mm-hmm. teams calls and that's that's my little bit of selfish injection okay. I do remember you saying you start, um, started the gym yeah um, for mine, um, I am actually doing the whole actual thinking about choosing myself because um, we've had Natalie Lou on the show before um, talked about people pleasing. I mm-hmm. am a former people pleaser, and I think it just got to the point where I was putting so many other people before me, friends, family, that when I was questioned, well, what? does your life look like? And I just couldn't answer because I was like, well, my goals are to have a family and to make everyone happy. And Mm. um, there was nothing outside of that. Mm. So I really had to take a step back and be like, hold on. Why do you think like that, number one? Where did Mm. that notion come from? I wonder, Um, Mm -hmm. slightly groomed into um, having that train of thought. Um, But yeah, I've just been thinking, right, what makes me happy? What do I want to do? Mm -hmm. And, well, you only get one shot at life. And yes, you you can have a goal to have a wonderful family and stuff. But I think my goals were just too focused on um, the external, the other people. And, you know, you, your kids are individuals, your partners are individuals. Mm Mm-hmm. They can't be in control of my goals. So, mm-hmm. yeah. And I think, I can't remember whether we discussed this on a previous episode or whether it was a conversation I was having with someone else, but I really think it, we owe it to our children to role model that whole aspect of looking after yourself because, yeah, it's all well mm. and good having a family and, and prioritising them and making sure the kids are okay, but then... Like you say, you were groomed into thinking a certain way. You don't want to groom your kids into that. You want to break that cycle and make sure that they understand that they are important. And if they're important to themselves, then that will show other people that they're important as well. And, And you get treated the way that you allow yourself to be treated. So if you don't have your yourself yeah. as a priority, then who else is going to make you a priority? Right. Yeah, that's so true. Because I just thought, would I want my kids to be living for other people? And I'm like, oh, no, no, no. <laughs> at all. Wow. Yeah, I think that's definitely helped. That kind of way of thinking. It's like, um, would you? It's like putting your kind of life in someone else's shoes, like a friend. Mm. It's like, would you speak to a friend the way you speak to yourself? Would yeah. you put so many expectations on yourself? on a friend that you would on yourself or like Mm. you said even your kids and I was like never exactly I can be that mean to a friend or a member of my family so yes so I guess choosing you is definitely just being authentic in that sense in every way and 
befriending yourself and just being kind to yourself mm. and doing it in an authentic way for you because I think and maybe Tammy will help us a bit with this but I think that it's been banded around a lot like this whole self-love be kind to you thing and it, it sounds good on Instagram, but what does it actually look like? Like, we don't all need to take ourselves to the spa. Like, that's not necessarily oh, yeah. self-love or, yeah. like, self-care Sunday or whatever. Like, it's, it's a nice hashtag, but what does it mean? Like, you need to yeah. make it meaningful for you as an individual. And I think that's... Definitely. Important. Definitely, because, you know, I like a good spa day. I like to get my lashes done, my nails done. Mm-hmm. Um that brings me happiness, mm-hmm. but it's not just those things. Mm-hmm. But someone else would be like, oh, bloody would hate that. Mm-hmm. It's not for me. Mm-hmm. And then there's me saying, oh, get your nails done. You'd love it. No, mm-hmm. it doesn't work like that. So, yeah, definitely whatever works for you. And I I, that, I guess that goes down to knowing yourself mm-hmm. and being your own best friend. Ooh, now we're getting deep. You can't get any deeper before um, Tamu comes in because I will just be experts in the field and just exactly. take over Live 360. Right. Um, th- yeah, we don't want to do that. We don't want to do that. do that. We can't take That's money from her on... mouth. Right? That's not our path, see? <laughs> so, before we ruin any parts, um, shall we let her in? Let's do it. So, welcome, Tamu. Lovely to have you with us. I feel like I've, I've been waiting my turn. I've been oh. waiting my turn and I'm here now. Yeah, you made it. Um, but we have, and we, we've talked about this already, we've been wanting to have you on for such a long time. And I think maybe our previous incarnation wasn't the right platform for you. So now we're here with women who rebrand. I think this is perfect for you to tell us about your story and how you you help women through their stories. So um, we know you're Live360, but we met you in a previous life. So I think it's probably best if you tell our listeners exactly who you are and what you do. So can you just give us a little bit of um, information on Tamu? Hello, women who rebrand folk. Uh, My name is Tamu Thomas. I am a coach. It's taken me quite a long time to just say I'm a coach as opposed to I'm this and that and the other because um, when I first came to the coaching space, I didn't understand it. I didn't know what it was. I didn't understand it. And to be quite honest, it felt really um, shiny and American. It was like, you know, white women with wavy blonde hair sitting on a beach with a laptop wearing a caftan and I was like I just I just I just don't get this um but I really want to do something where I'm able to um support women to be who they are um I think previously I would have said to be their best self um and all these other things but what I've realized through doing this work is that actually my role is to help women stop pretending they're not powerful and tune into how powerful they are in a way that works with who they are, as opposed to working against who they are. Because a lot of our notions about power come from a very um, patri- pre- uh, patriarchal, supremacist type of power, which is having power over, which is being dominant, which um, quite often makes women 
um, especially and marginalised groups, groups of people that are historically and systemically marginalised. Shouts out to Rachel Rogers for that description. Um, it often makes us feel very nervous and um, like we're being threatened because we're used to having people having power over us and having to squeeze and conform into power. But actually, we're all really, really powerful. And if we allow ourselves to be our powerful selves, we're a force to be reckoned with. And um, it's not necessarily that we'll be fighting the systems, but we'll just leave the, that system alone and let it crumble and begin to create supportive systems, systems of care. Um, so that was really long and rambly, but that's what you get <laughs> when you invite me. Uh, so, yeah, so essentially my work as a coach is to help typically over-functioning, highly ambitious women slow down work out what they really want and create a life that supports that so it's not about I'm not going to teach you some productivity hack how to do more with less because we do too much with too little as it is already but it's to like really work with the rhythm of your nervous system um, because I believe you can create really wondrous stuff without rinsing yourself out um, before that and I think this really led to uh, setting up Live360. I um, joined forces with our friend Leah, AKA Purple Ramblings, to set up Motherhood Reconstructed. And Motherhood Reconstructed was a platform for black British mothers. It was a platform to celebrate, to uphold, to really show the diversity within black British motherhood. And that was born out of an idea I had in 2009, I think it was. Mm -hmm. um, I was in another life doing creative work. I was meeting lots of really creative black British mothers, but I wasn't seeing uh, see us being represented. And there weren't spaces where we could go in our wholeheartedness. There were spaces we could go for motivation and inspiration, but a place that was kind of like a gentle landing place for us to be who we are, as well as being mothers, as well as being business owners. I didn't see that. And when I started to Google black motherhood, black British motherhood, it was a shocking state of affairs. It ranged from pictures of apes through to all these stuff about welfare, um, mothers being on benefits, single motherhood. And I was like, well, as, as much as I know uh, single mothers, and I am a single mother, the majority of black mothers I know are happily married. Thank you very much. Um, and they are doing all sorts of wonderful things in the world. And I wasn't seeing that represented. Anything I was seeing was very American. And whilst we do have lots of crossover and similarity, the black British experience isn't the same as the African-American or black American experience. Mm -hmm. um, but it took from 2009, or was it two, either 2009 or 2010, to 2016 to do this because um, just around the time I, start, I had the idea for what I was doing, I came across mother's meetings and I got into that whole, well, there's already this. People are going to think I'm copying. Uh, oh. People want to be part of that. Because at that time, the black British experience, experience was very much about assimilation mm -hmm. and all this like multiculturalism, which wasn't really real. Um, and I just thought, oh, gosh, there's not going to be any hope. Let me focus on what I'm doing. But in the background, 
I used to organize brunches. Literally, it was just called Brunch Club. It wasn't for mothers, but it was for black women in the creative industries. So there were um, artists, bloggers, writers. Um, uh, Leo came to our brunches or my brunches. And I would organize brunches, which often would end up rolling in from brunch into dinner, where we would just meet as women, as creative women in the creative industries. Because um, at that time, I had a little um, uh, fashion brand that used African textiles. Um, not so little. The pattern is, I'm always not little. We're not doing not that. Little. Well, not, we're not doing that. Okay, then it, it was a little indie. I'm very proud of it. Okay. I made lots of mistakes. I had lots of joys. I learned lots and lots. And I firmly believe that without this ex that experience, I wouldn't be doing what I'm doing now. Okay, fantastic. Um, you know, it was great. <laughs> I had nice, I had some cute press going on, but that press was not translating into money in my bank account. But yeah, the, the point is, I was gathering people. Whatever I was doing, I was gathering people. Within Motherhood Reconstructed, we had events, and that was something like I really wanted to do. Um, when I was a social worker, so prior to that, I was a social worker. When I was a social worker, somehow I was gathering people, like um, newly qualified social workers and things like that. I was I was putting things together. I was organizing things. When I think about uh, my school life, I was the person that brought different people together. Um, so you'd be like, well, what on earth are, you know, people who were wearing batty riders listening to bandolero doing with nirvana listening grungy emo kids um i was like the common denominator i was always bringing people together um i've even got recollections of me in nursery being bringing being somebody that brought people together and i'm sharing that because no matter what i did i've always fundamentally known and believed in the power of community like of right community not any schmo because it needs to be like like energetically aligned um and after being completely burnt out as a social worker experiencing anxiety and really feeling like if one more thing happens I might need to be sectioned or something I just looked at everything I really enjoyed in the different things I had done and tried to find a way I could put them all together and that is how Live360 was born and I had no desire I didn't even understand what coaching was to be a coach. I just wanted to have people together, do things that enhance well-being, and organize events um, and a period of experimenting, trying things out, exploring, taking a few risks led me to being a coach, which is something I didn't know about when I first started this brand in um, 2018. I need to lie down. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> that is a lot. <laughs> and interview's done. Interview's done. See you later. But even with that, thinking about women who rebranded, when I first left college I, I, and was going to university, I wanted to work in film and television. I wanted to be okay. a film and TV producer. Mm -hmm. And then I did some runners jobs and I thought, this Working 14 hours a day, six days a week isn't for me. Mm -hmm. I went to university just because I thought I should. Dropped out of university, did some temp work at a record company, ended up getting a job at the record company, did like rubbish jobs in the record company and then left. Then I worked in recruitment for a little while because I didn't know what else to do. I walked into the recruitment agency looking for a job and they were like, oh my goodness, you would be great here. <laughs> I didn't realize it was loads of sales. Um, <laughs> so I worked there for a little while, did a terrible job, left. Then I worked in film and television um, PR for a little while. 
And then um, I was volunteering in a youth club, helping young people with interview skills and doing their CV and getting them ready for work. And um, at the time, my mum was a foster carer. And I remember the experiences her young people had. And I just thought, I could do a better job at this. I could be a really good social worker. And literally, that was the Monday, the Thursday, the local newspaper in my mum's area comes out on a Thursday. I opened the job section of the local newspaper. There was a half-page advert for trainee social workers. Wow. And I'd left that PR job. I didn't have it. It was those days when I would leave a job, not having another job to go to because I knew I'd get another job. Mm. Uh, so I didn't apply for any other jobs. For, long story short, I became a social worker. And I did that for 14 years for local authorities, wow. two years. Um, I had my own independent practice and worked for various local authorities in CAFCAS. And I was just still burnt out. I just still thought, I'm just still knackered. Like, what's going on? I just don't have the vim and the zest I had previously. And then, you know, the motherhood reconstructed, the Live 360 um, emerged. So I've rebranded a few times. And I'm sure there's like many more rebrandings to come. Mm. Because I just think, why should I be stuck doing one thing forever? That's mm -hmm. boring. Mm -hmm. And I love the way, um, sorry, Sarita, I love the way that you were the one who put into my mind that it's okay to move from one thing to the other. Like, it's not about you failed at something. It's yeah. exactly what you said. Like, everything you've done has led you to the point where you are right now. Without all of that experience, you wouldn't be who you are at this point, being able to do the things that you can do. So it's not about failure at all. It's about building your... I know your armory for a war analogy, which I shouldn't really be using, but it's just, it's given you everything that you've needed to get to the point that you're at. And I, I love that reframing that you gave to me. Yeah. Um, and that, that gives you the freedom to go out and take risks and do things that you might not have thought you could do because so what, if it doesn't work out, it's still experience It's still building exactly. you as a person. So, um, yeah, I think what and you've you know done what? It's is not always that. that it hasn't worked out. Mm -hmm. Sometimes you realize that wasn't for you. That was for a moment that yeah. wasn't, you know, long gone. I think sometimes we think about career success or failure in terms of longevity and braving it out because of what our parents, you know, we, we come from a generation of people who did have a job for life. You did do one career forever. You even worked in one place. I remember, uh, where I lived, the the goal for many people was to get a job in the council because oh. when you had a job in the council, hmm. you had a job for life. My so dear, yes, I tried. Family, I tried. Security. Oh, but but you know it was, and I, I think that generation it was very much about endurance, about mm. bearing, about braving it out. And I just think, well, I'm evolving. Why would I? I don't want to be in anything in my life whether it's my work, my actual life, my relationships, if it starts to feel like a pair of two tight skinny jeans, I'm out of there. <laughs> That's for your 20s. <laughs> I love that it's analogy. I love it. I love it. Ooh. So how would you, how do you implement joy within your day-to-day -day life, including your work? I don't implement it. It's there. Okay. It's, it's always there. If you think, so... Um, the other day I shared this, wherever I shared it, it doesn't matter, but Mel Robbins, who is very big in these personal development streets, um, she was doing a keynote speech somewhere in 2014 or 15, and she shared that there was a, I think it was a 43 trillion chance that you would be born. 
a 43 trillion in one chance that you would be born. However you say the mathematics, that's not my strong point. So she worked, so that's, that's what science, but there was a scientist in the audience or he watched it or something, Dr. Ali Benazir, and he crunched the numbers and he worked out that the probability of you being born, bearing in mind all the people that had to come together, the way they came together to give birth to your ancestors and ancestors and ancestors to give birth to you, if you were trying to calculate that in a mathematical formulation, there would be a zero chance of you being born. Oh my gosh. Zero, zilch. So the fact that you, you and I are sitting here as we are right here, right now, we're chosen. It's not an accident. It's not a mistake. It's not happenstance or whatever you want to call it. We are destined to be here. We're supposed to be here. That already for me is a joyful fact. The fact that out of the chance of nothing, I am here. So I just think, so immediately I think, well, if I can be made out of like, if, if I can be the result of zero, there's so many zeros around. There's so many things we can create out of that zero. Furthermore, we live on a dense rock of a planet covered in water and earth. This planet is heavy, yet we're suspended in space floating around. And when you look at like, I'm always looking at like science things and whatever else. When you look at a diagram of the earth, when it's cut in half, the ozone layer looks like a pair of denier tights. <laughs> we are protected from cosmic storms and all sorts. We are floating around in a black expanse. We have daytime, we have sunsets, we have sunrise, we have darkness, we have uh, stars twinkling in the sky. If that doesn't fill you with a sense of awe and wonder and let you know that joy is omnipresent, I don't know what to tell you. Like, I, I really don't know what to tell you. If you woke up this morning, and I know this can sound really far out there and philosophical, but there are a whole load of people that didn't wake up this morning. Hmm. If you are inhaling and exhaling, if you, know, if, if you are here at this moment in time, there is joy for you somewhere. The clouds... And for like people will say things like, didn't you notice this? Didn't you notice that? I'm not even looking down here. I'm looking up there because it's so magical and wondrous. There's a lot of time I'm like, I cannot believe I'm here. Mm. It's all around. All I have to do is close my eyes and speak to my heart. And even if there is sadness that comes up, there's always joy because we're multifaceted. We don't just have one set of emotions, feelings, way of being. So I'm just like, there's joy everywhere. The fact that I'm sitting here on a laptop with a camera perched on top that makes me look a bit more glowy than the ordinary <laughs> FaceTime camera, and we are here having a conversation. The fact that we have got a relationship because of laptops and Wi-Fi and whatever, that fills me with joy. Because in 2016, just before Motherhood Reconstructed launched, I was in a place where I really wanted... I, I could never admit this to myself previously, but I really wanted to have new relationships. I really wanted to have relationships with people that could become friendships who know me as I am now without all the history of who I was when I was 17, 20, 31 and all of that jazz. Like for, mm -hmm. that fills me with joy. 
So it's, it's, it, lives, it lives inside. Joy, um, when I first really latched onto joy, I, looked, I was looking up on the dictionary and stumbled across this website called Theopedia, and it said um, joy is um, a state of, uh, it's an orientation of the heart, um, oh gosh, I can't remember. A settled state, something, something. It's an orientation of the heart. It's a settled state of confidence, contentment, and hope. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. There's always hope. Unless I'm mm-hmm. cremated, there's always hope. <laughs> I can always find some kind of contentment. You know, some people might say, oh, privilege. I work very hard for this so called privilege. I'm confident in the fact that I'm a loving, caring human being that means the best for myself, for the people I engage with, for this world. I love it. I love it. I think that's so, um, yeah, (laughs) for those who are listening, I'm uh, almost crying. I'm literally about to wipe a tear from my eye. But I, I was wanting to ask you what your definition of joy was and do you think that that sums it up for you that confidence contentment and hope is is that what it is because sometimes when we picture joy like in my head I'm hearing that Ren and Stimpy song happy happy joy joy and it's like people clapping and and massive big smiles and just like that evangelical type of thing and and it, I guess it doesn't have to feel like that for everybody. Yeah, happiness is different for me. Mm. Happiness is a much more um, happiness is a much more upward, lifting me up out of my experience because it happens here and there. Whereas joy feels a lot more grounded, a lot more. So, whereas happiness goes up for me, joy is down and wide. I feel really connected. I feel really alive and present. It's, it's literally like I, I can feel the hum of my cells. I can feel the hum of my body and nothing ne- like, you know, happiness happens. Nothing needs to happen for me to experience joy. It comes from the inside. It's not an external. Mm. Um, it's very much, and it's not necessarily a memory. It's not necessarily something happens and I remember something. It's something that comes deep within. I, I feel like I'm, I'm, you know, alive with God when I'm um, experiencing joy. And I've, I've talked before, I've said before that I've, I've always got like a the subtle hum of sadness in the background. I don't know what it is. I don't know where it comes from, but it's always there. And and I think, you know, as human beings, we've got a negativity bias. We have a tendency to scan the world for what's negative, what we need to protect ourselves from. But if I'm still and I tune in, there's always joy right next to that sadness. Sometimes the joy is more... um, present sometimes it's more active and louder sometimes it's not but it's always there and the more I tune into it the more I tune into it really and it's not bypassing it's not toxic positivity I'm not pretending I don't have the sadness but there's there's joy still there within that I'm you know I experience sadness I'm not just sad which for me is a very very different experience Um, and I, so I'm hearing that and um, it's just triggering, triggering so many different, um, I guess, I don't know, the memories, I, I, I guess, about where I've heard similar things before. So, you know, when um, like something like autism, you, you, I mean, we're told not to describe people who have autism as autistic, they 
they have autism because it's not it doesn't define them that's yeah and and it's yeah because you're on that spectrum you can it can display in different ways and Mm -hmm. and all of that kind of thing and and the same with um dyslexia like you're not dyslexic you have dyslexia and and I think it's the same as what you're talking about it's Mm -hmm. um so so yeah that's I'm just like wow, making all these connections, but Ooh, it's not a diagnostic tool. Yeah, you know I mean? yeah, part of it's not you. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, but moving on from joy, then, and you've talked a lot about um, like how how it makes you feel and and all of that kind of thing, and and having the time to sit and look at the clouds and all of that kind of yeah. stuff. Um, but and I think I mean we've talked a bit about this before you joined us, Tamu, but it's about choosing to take that time and, and spend it on yourself. And um, we discussed whether it is selfish, but not in a negative way, but and, and how important that selfishness is to, to be able to experience joy, just having that that time to, to love yourself and all of that kind of thing. But we are still using the word selfish. Like, is there another word that we can do? And what can we do to break the stigma around taking that time to spend on yourself and and find out what where you can get that joy from or, or what brings about that joy in you or what things you can focus on to make sure that joy is a constant in your life so what what can we do to to break that stigma of selfishness being used to term mm-hmm. looking after yourself it's prioritizing yourself it's making yourself important it's and you know because we live in a system of power over, we believe that self-care, if we're taking care of ourselves, if we're looking after ourselves, we're looking after ourselves over looking after everybody else. So it's almost as if we believe if we look after ourselves, we're taking away from looking after other people. Well, first and foremost, we weren't born to take care of other people solely even as a parent, you are not born just to take care of your children. That's number one. And take that how you want to take it, babes. Like, you know, <laughs> and number two, when you take care of yourself and you feel cared for, you feel important, you feel worthy, what impact is that going to have on your relationships? Mm. It's going to have a positive impact on your relationships. Mm-hmm. Your children are going to experience you as whole. Your children are going to know that when you are on, you are on. It's not from resentment. It's not because you have to. And you're also teaching them boundaries for themselves because we learn far more from what is modeled by our parents than what they teach us. Mm. So a lot of us will walk around with the notion that self-care, that looking after yourself, that prioritizing yourself is selfish because we grew up with mums that ran themselves ragged. We grew up with mums who were working really long hours and they were still cooking all kinds of back home food. They were still being very active in the community, whether it was they were members of the church or their local whatever. We saw motherhood equate to martyrdom. And there are many people, you know, I'm not putting words in anybody's mouth, but there are many people who saw parental relationships survive on resentment so we learn that pattern so we learn we give in exchange for resentment so that's what we're teaching our children we talk about feminism online bring the feminism home first 
there are so many people I hear saying all sorts of stuff, but they come on a Zoom call with me and their child is running around in the background and they're trying to talk in a coded way and the husband is in the house. Mm, yikes. So these, and, and I'm not saying it's because anybody's good, bad or selfish or not selfish. This is a product of our conditioning. So we've got to be really mindful about the conditions we want and the legacy we want to hand to those coming after us, whether they're our children or they're people in our community. I know that when I take care of myself, I'm much more jovial, I'm much more pleasant to be around, I'm much more generous, I'm much more giving, I'm much more loving. Everybody benefits when I'm taking care of myself and I'm prioritizing myself. And prioritizing myself doesn't mean that the people I care for aren't getting what they need. They're getting even more because they're getting fun mum. They're getting fun partner. They get, you know, I'm able to give more and I'm able to have boundaries from a place of clean energy. So it's not, I've, I've, I've had enough, I'm withdrawing. It's, this is my boundary. This is why I need my boundary. Can you support me with that boundary? Mm. And can you support me with that boundary? That boundary is for me to hold. It's not your job to hold my boundary, but you need to know what my boundary is. Yeah. Because mm -hmm. I'm going to hold it. You can try what you want to do, but if I'm holding my boundary, you cannot override my boundaries. And my boundaries help you understand how to connect with me deeper. They help me feel safe. They help you know what I need to feel safe. They give you the vim to say, oh, actually, this is my boundary. Can you support me with that? So we're actually working on consent and respect as opposed to assumption and expectation. We're making agreements. I can't really stick to that boundary. It makes me feel whatever kind of way. So I'm going to leave you to that. Cool. Because you one person can't meet all of my needs. That's why I've got friends. That's why I've got community. That's why I've got a therapist. That's why I've got, do you know what I'm saying? Like I cannot burden you with everything. I cannot expect you to make up for what my parents weren't able to give me. Mm. But it gives us the opportunity to really, really connect. And I don't believe you can possibly care for me if you want me rinsed out. Mm. And you don't care for yourself if you want me rinsed out, because then you don't want the best of me. Mm. You don't want me to have the best of me. You don't want to have the best of me. You don't want the people around us to have the best of me. Hmm. Listen, I think before we launch this episode, we're going to have to put something in to say, make sure you come with a pen and paper to take notes. <laughs> <laughs> because... Tammy is dropping a word on you today. Listen, I swear, I keep saying I think I was like a um, born-again Baptist church minister. I think so. life, but but, but do you know what? Vibe. For us to live the lives, for us to be the powerful people we know we are, and I don't mean Shira power rah, all over the place, but for us to feel powerful enough to say, do you know what? In our family, we've had that as banter for 20 years, but I don't like it anymore. I don't think I liked it in the first place. I just went along with it, but it actually hurts my feelings. This is what I would prefer. You're not saying, and you do this to me, and you, you're not making anybody a villain or a victim. I've evolved. I understand myself differently now. This is what I need. And at first, like on the surface, that might sound really clunky and therapeutic, but it opens the doors. You're role modeling. You're not saying to anybody, this is what I expect. 
you're saying, can you meet me where I am? Can we make this agreement? Which then creates an environment where somebody starts to invite you into making agreements and meeting them where they are. And that is children, partner, best friend, parent, the whole shebang. So when you get to a point, like, um, as you said, my my boundaries have changed, my, my needs have changed, and you do present... Um, you know, what you said, like those banter kind of things was fine before. In fact, actually, no, it wasn't. It wasn't fine. It hurt my feelings. I don't Mm -hmm. like it. Can we do this? Because it makes me feel. What do you do when you are trying to um, choose yourself and live authentically and come with boundaries and your boundaries aren't respected? Well, it depends. I'm not one of those people that will be like, and you've got to cut off this and blah, 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 because sometimes we have to check ourselves. Are we giving mixed messages? Are we actually, you know, honoring our own boundaries? Are we letting our boundaries leak every now and again? But also, let's not gaslight ourselves. It's not always us. Sometimes it is the other person. So it's about talking to that person again. You know, I mentioned this before. But I need to bring it up again because it's still happening. And I, wanna ha- I just want to know what's going on for you. So you're inviting that person into a conversation, not for you to negotiate yourself down and not for you to start um, making your boundaries fluid, but to check whether that person has understood. Because we've also got to remember that people listen from their perspective. People listen from their childhood wounds, from their childhood um, uh great things and all of that kind of stuff so it's it's also it's not just about whether or not that person has listened has that person understood through their own filter have they understood so it's really important to check in but if somebody continues to trample over your boundaries because they haven't got boundaries they're offended by your boundaries they don't understand and it's a kind of well you think that you are better than me kind of vibe when that's not what you're doing at all It's then working out, well, how much do I allow that person to take up space in my life? So there are friendships that the, the, I heard someone talk about, I don't know who it was, but it was like um, having people on your front row. So if I'm on my stage and you're heckling me from the front row or you're eye rolling or you're, you're doing something I find dismissive, well, you can't be in the front row anymore. You can be in the theater. Maybe you need to be in the nosebleed seats. Maybe you need to be a little bit further behind. Maybe you need to be in the um, balcony kind of bit. Maybe that's where you need to be, but you cannot be front and center because why am I going to harm myself in that way, prioritizing you over me? No, I'm my priority, my well-being, my emotions are my priority. So maybe you have to go a little bit further back. And that just means I'm not making myself as available to you. I'm not doing bad vibes. I'm not not talking to you because if we're not talking, we just shouldn't have a relationship. Mm. But then also on that note, we have to get really honest and really clear. Sometimes there are people we cannot have a relationship with because they can't honor our boundaries. Mm. And what we need to be really brave in doing is remember or knowing, trusting that the short-term impact of that separation is worthy the long-term freedom. What we often do, because that short-term impact feels so strong and so painful, we avoid that and we just put up with a lifetime of bullshit, basically, because we think we can take micro hurts over having a big hurt. Give me that big hurt one time 
let me heal from that. Let me take that time and then have freedom because also you're releasing the other person. Mm. There, there are countless people I come across, whether it is a friendship or a, a relation, like a romantic relationship that's ending because the person has evolved and grown so much, the other people haven't. In fact, they've tried to hold them back. And it's been a case of, I, I physically cannot continue to make myself small to fit into the version of me you met in 1997. Like, I, I literally cannot do it. Um, and for me, you know, I don't have that long-term romantic relationship that I need to break away from. But I'm very, very clear. I've got close relationships that feel like marriages and if it comes to, it's nearly come to a point where it was like, Alton scatter, it's finished, it's done. And we've been able to find our way back and reposition ourselves. But, and that's why I have therapy. You know, I don't have therapy because I think something's wrong. I want to be the best I can be. I've got trusted people I can go to and bounce ideas off or just be heard and held. So I'm speaking out loud and I can make sense of things myself, but I can't choose you above me. Like, it doesn't make sense to me. Like, I, I, the sensations I have in my body are so strong. It's like I'm, I'm repulsing myself by doing that. I just can't. <laughs> Do you know what? It's not even that I just can't. I just won't. Mm. Do you know what? It's so, like, you're saying it in a way that, that makes sense. You're giving us lots of context. You're breaking it down. And... I just prior to this, I was having a conversation with someone, a colleague, actually, and she was talking about the fact that she doesn't really have that many close friends and she doesn't come to work to find friends either. And so it makes it a lot easier when she feels someone is taking a piss with her at work to just cut through that and say, wait, hold on a minute. This isn't what I'm expecting. This isn't what you told me was going to happen. You told me this, therefore, this is what should be the case. And if it's not, then you need to let me know why it isn't and what's going to happen as a result. So she was being very, very, med like, almost, um, like, just scientific about her conversations and relationships with her colleagues. And to an outsider, it might have seemed quite brutal and cold and, like, why is she behaving like that? Like, what does she doesn't care about people's emotions. But the way that she was explaining it is if I am putting my, my manager's feelings above, above mine, I'm going to walk away feeling like I've been taken the mick out of, like I, I, I've come to work and I'm not enjoying it. I'm going to start looking for another job. I'm, I'm going to start. It's going to have an effect on me. So why not just prioritize me and make sure I'm getting the most out of what I'm here for? And then I'll be happy. My manager's going to be happy because I'm doing the job I'm meant to be doing. Everyone's going to be happy, but I need to look after me because no one else is going to prioritize me. My manager's got the businesses, my business in mind, not me as an individual in mind. So I need to stand up for myself. Yeah. And I just loved the way that she was so comfortable with saying that and doing that and the results that she was getting. And I compared it with another colleague who was very much, I don't want to rock the boat. You know, I don't want to come across as too demanding. I, I, you know, I, I don't want people to think that I'm a problem. But why would they think that you're a problem or demanding when you're just asking for what you should have or what you've been told to expect or the things that should come 
as as a standard like and and I just wish that I could inject some of that first colleague into the second colleague yeah to help her assert herself a bit more and and start getting what she should be getting and not yeah. feeling that she's stepping on people's toes by just demanding basic minimum and it's just so frustrating that we often put ourselves into that mindset of no I, I don't want to I don't wanna upset anyone like you're upsetting yourself why is it okay to upset yourself yeah. I, I just I don't get that and and I guess it comes down to that whole patriarchal capitalist society that we're living in and, and the power that that has over us mm-hmm. and the good power that we want to embody but it's just but you know so... what's interesting see mm. I'm hearing two ends of the same spectrum mm. in that in the, in the two women you were talking about. So let, let's remove those two women and just look at the spectrum. On the one end of the spectrum, I'm hearing, I'm not enough, so I'm going to keep myself small, mm. and I'm I'm not going to, and I'm going to make sure that I'm not inconveniencing anybody. So the result of that is avoiding intimacy. You're avoiding connecting with people as a real, honest connection. Then on the other hand, something, life has told me I'm not enough. I need to protect myself. I need to be um, hyper-independent. I don't need anybody. I'm going to make all of my relationships transactional, fear of intimacy. So what I'm hearing along that scale is something in that pattern around not enoughness. Mm. So you're avoiding connection by making yourself small. And the other side is avoiding connection by making yourself dominant, blasé, I can cut out of here anytime I want to. Mm. So as you said about giving the woman on the um, kind of hiding end of the spectrum, if you could give her some of that other person, that combination of those elements will make a more well-rounded person who is able to assert themselves when they need because remember it is a flow Mm. we can't always be well this is all about me we live in community we're the most pro-social creatures on this planet so there are some times where you have to be like well let me give other people a chance I don't want to I don't want to offend anybody actually I need to stand up for myself or I just need to make this known and and constantly ebbing and flowing in between because that's how we invite people in to form connections with us that are a real connection based on who we are as opposed to a transaction based on what we do. And it is possible, obviously it's different doing that in the workplace to how you do that in your personal life, but it is possible to do that within the workplace so that you are a human being working rather than leaving your humanity at the door when you walk into the um, workplace. Tamu is an emotional well-being coach and the purveyor of joy. She wants people to enjoy who they are from the inside out. She believes in the potent power of pleasure. Joy is a mighty healing tonic with the capacity to teach us how to own the full spectrum of what we feel. Tamu experienced the many ways play and curiosity helps embody a sense of safety. She supports self-ownership, curiosity, pleasure, joy, stillness, playfulness, and embodied safety to create a foundation of self-trust. Promoting the belief that self-trust is the medicine for emotional wounds and nutrient-dense nourishment for sustainable and regenerative growth. Check out Live360 and start your personal rebrand. Live360.com You can also find Live360 on Instagram, Twitter, Pinterest, Facebook and LinkedIn.
in the world. Okay, this week, um, Harvard Business Review Ideacast, episode 855, um, was published, and it was titled, Find Joy in Any Job. How do I get my team to love work? Um, Ideacast co-host Alison Beard speaks with Marcus Buckingham, head of research on people and performance at the A. DP Research Institute, and author of the new book, Love Plus Work. Now, I was listening to this, and it was actually quite interesting, um, and it kind of did pick up what you were talking about with the two extremes and everything else and resentment, because work politics can be a lot, and it's really unnecessary. Mm. So during their discussion, um, they basically had a message for managers, and it's basically... Um, they had the concept of team joining. Get together as a team, share what you love to do, um, share what share what you do at your best, and um, basically, which I love, which um, was a love note, which was a statement. And it was basically saying, who am I, what I love most, and I love it when, or I'm my best when. So it wasn't mm. focusing on... Um, what are your strengths? What are your weaknesses? It's saying, I'm at my best when, I'm at my worst when, and what can I get out of um, working together? Because also the concept was, you know, your strengths are someone else's weaknesses, mm-hmm. and your weaknesses might be someone else's strengths. So it's all about communication and actually working together. And they basically were saying, you know, um, in the end, what managers should be doing is checking in with their team. So your two conversations with the two colleagues, it, it sounds like there might be some resentment there or they feel that they're not being heard. If your managers are checking in with their team on a weekly basis, um, Marcus was saying, there'd be a lot more joy in the workplace. And I did say that sorry, Alison did think that was a bit too much. She said perhaps every two weeks. However, however, Marcus's studies um, and data showed that anything less than checking in every 11 days, productivity, joy seemed to decline. Oh. Yeah, so 11 days was the the magic number there. And obviously it does depend on the size of your team as well. Like if it's just three of you and you talk and it's like, okay, you only come into the office twice a week. It's like, come on, I don't need to have this conversation again. Um, but yeah, I thought that was actually quite interesting. Um, so Tamu, what advice would you give um, to businesses to promote joy? in the workplace obviously you can't steal those other ideas but yeah what what, what advice would you sorry what advice would you give i would what advice would i give i would celebrate people like genuinely celebrate people genuinely and and not just um the really tangible stuff such as you your sales grew by 25% this quarter actually um celebrate the skills the attributes the development of your team so that's something because that gets overlooked and quite often um i i haven't worked in an office environment for a long time but quite often congratulations and um praise was on the back of i'm about to give you some more work um it wasn't like i see you 
I just really want to take a moment to celebrate you. So there's that. Have a really clear vision and mission and values and inspire your staff to be part of the vision, the mission, the values. And if it's appropriate, allow them, enable them, create opportunities for them to contribute. Because people buy in, you get more long um, loyalty, you get more longevity when people actually feel like they're part of the organization. There was some study done whenever it was, and most people didn't leave work because of pay. They left work because they didn't feel valued. They left work because they didn't feel seen. So let people have the opportunity to feel seen and valued and um, heard and allow them to make a contribution and not a tick box exercise, actually something that has meaning. Let's go away from presenteeism. You know, the amount of times I almost had palpitations because I wanted to leave early to watch my daughter's school play or something like that. When you have high trust, because people understand the vision, they understand the mission, mission they, they, they are aligned with your value values. When you have high trust, people aren't going to take the mick. They're not going to be like sloping off every two seconds to go to Westfield or whatever. So people will be honest with you. So allow people to be human beings within the uh, role. Um, and um, having appraisals that include the person as a whole, like their development, not just purely focused on the work, because we bring our, we, like, I'm a human being in the workplace. Whilst I'm not going to be telling you the ins and outs of my trials and tri tribulations, even my wins and my joys, let, it, let me feel like there's enough space for me to say, do you know what? I just need to be a bit quiet this week because I've got a lot going on at home. I'm still doing whatever, but I'm going to reduce the amount of meetings I'm taking. Be able to do that. Create an environment where you're checking in with people. Speaking of meetings, you're checking in with people. Does this need to be a meeting? What is, the, what is your agenda and what are you trying to achieve with this agenda? So people come in focused and you can do that and get it done. There's so much waste time business um, in organizations because of presenteeism and wanting um, people to be seen. And also, let's break this culture of not having breaks. Encourage people to actually take breaks. You're not being more productive. You're not doing anything to a better quality with one hand on your sandwich, one hand on your keyboard. Insist, create a culture where even if it's twice a week, people have to take a proper lunch break because you're not getting any more. There's so many studies out there that show you're not going to increase the volume of work um, outside there. So those are things that come um, off the top of my head. Um, and also, let's pay people properly, you know. <laughs> that, that is a real thing. That, that needs to be a thing. Give, give people the money. Uh, you know, not companies have profits and this, that and the other. But over the pandemic, it was really disheartening seeing companies talk about, despite the pandemic, these are the profits we made. But that wasn't being reflected in the salaries of their staff. Mm. Um, and stop this nonsense. We don't want a ping pong table at work. <laughs> Take that ping pong money and invest in some kind of well-being service that I can phone up when it all feels a bit too much. 
or something, don't order me pizza. I've got food. Do you know what I mean? It's I actually true. do things that are going to contribute to my humanity. Mm. Do, you, do, you, do you remember, this just popped into my head, thinking about the ping pong, ping pong table and whatnot. Imagine your workplace is heading towards the Christmas break. And whether people celebrate Christmas or not, most workplaces, unless they're the types of places that need to be open all the time, wind down for a few days of Christmas. Mm-hmm. Don't buy me a ping pong table. Let me play ping pong. Get in like a, a big screen and put E.T. on the projector, like the sort of things we did on the last day of term at school. <laughs> like do something that sparks joy, that really connects with the child. Because we're still the children we were. We're, mm-hmm. we're just bigger. Like do, do something, you know never-ending story, all those, like, really classic, nostalgic-type movies. Do something like that that brings us together Mm. and we share a moment before we're going off into, you know, the world of buying presents that don't make no sense and seasoning all kinds of meat for days and days on end. (laughs) It's funny you mentioned the um, ping-pong table because we actually have a foosball table um, that... A job that Danny was previously at, they got rid of it because no one, no one wanted it. So we actually have a proper foosball table. You put money in, da da da, all of that malarkey, heavy. Um, We don't really use it though. So yeah. Well, I can I can understand why you would have that at home, but at a work yeah, environment, not work. let work be work, done, but yeah. let it be a compassionate work. Let it be a uh, um, let let us have a um, a corporate culture of care. Mm-hmm. Let us base our work around care because when staff feel cared for, you're going to get even more out of them. Mm-hmm. You're going to be like, come on, slow your roll. That's enough now. Take a break because they feel loyal. They feel committed. They feel like they're part of something. Mm-hmm. Definitely. I can relate to that so much. And that some of the stuff that you said around trust being so important, like we know, and this is part of the work that I do, that trust is one of the most fundamental characteristics mm-hmm. in a leader. It, without trust you're not going to be able to bring anyone with you at all so that's super important and also just thinking about my own relationships with managers that I've had and I know it can feel uncomfortable to start talking about personal stuff like you have you want to have that line between your work and your your personal life but when I have opened up and explained about situations that are going on at home that's when I've been given the um, almost a license to okay well if you need to leave early then please do or you know just take yourself offline for a bit and that's fine rather than me doing it in secret and being anxious yeah. because people can see oh no I'm not online like what they must mm. be thinking what am I doing so just opening up and having those really honest yeah. conversations can help so much um, so yeah just wanted to and you never know that. who will be able to support you with something um so when mm. I was a social worker 2010 January my boss asked me how I was I just went in to ask her a question and the tears started flooding because I was like my child is working full-time like she's at nursery lot and she was like you must never do that you must never ever do that what can we do to support you Mm. and from then on when I was employed my thing was I can have your job but I can only have your job if I can start at 9.30. I can work longer hours on a Monday or a Friday. Social services love that because that's when <laughs> things would always be an issue. Um, but if it was a workplace that said, no, I want you at that desk at 9 o'clock, they couldn't wait half an hour. I just That wasn't a place I would that's want to work anyway. Yeah, yeah. So, so sometimes you get help 
but you didn't know you were going to get. Um, so it is, you know, it's important. And, and you don't want that anxiety of ducking and diving and then getting caught out um, and then feeling defensive because something really real was going on, but also feeling shame because you're like, damn, I've been sneaking around. I haven't really done what I was supposed to do. Like, that doesn't feel good either. Mm. Every week we ask our guest for some words of advice based on their experience, their expertise, their wisdom. We know you've got tons of all three of those things, Tamu. So our question for you is, what routines can we implement to make sure that we remain focused on putting ourselves first? How can we remember to choose me? At first, we can need to be quite um I was going to say rudimentary but I'm not even sure if that's what I mean but we, we have to be like very practical about it so I would put reminders in my phone my phone mustn't just suck my attention and energy sometimes it needs to give me prompts so I would set alarms on my phone whether it was um express gratitude I would have affirmation like pop up and there would be affirmations that would pop up at different times. So I would use technology to support me, to give me reminders, because it's so easy when we're going through the motions of the day to forget. So that's number one, use that, that bit of tech to support you. And sticking with tech, and this was not my vibe previously, but plan stuff, have a schedule, have a schedule that supports you. We schedule in meetings, great. Schedule in breaks, structure your week to support you. You know, I've got in my calendar, you'll see there, 12.30 lunch, apart from a couple of Wednesdays in a month because I do something, I've got that reminder because what would happen is people would have my Calendly link to book their sessions and then my lunchtime was gone. The next thing I know it's three something and I haven't had lunch. Then I'm like, oh, it's too late. I'm going to wait for dinner. Then I'm waiting for dinner. Meanwhile, I've just seen the packet of biscuits going down and all of this nonsense I'm eating. So use your schedule and take some time to understand your rhythms. Um, women, we have, you know, different cycles, four cycles or whatever it is of the month. Have a look at your, um, I'm not saying you can do everything by your cycle. That's not what I'm saying at all. But have a look at your cycle. Have a look at when you are more outgoing, when you're more analytical, when you're quieter, when you're more tired. So you can schedule your work accordingly. But also, if you can't schedule your work accordingly, so that, and I'm looking right in the mirror, because in, in the camera, because I want people to see, if you can't schedule your work accordingly, look at how you're going to support yourself to get through those times. It's not just because, oh my gosh, it's the week before my period, I get really tired. We don't have to brave it out. The same way if you are a parent or you've looked after children, you would preempt their needs and make sure you've got enough snacks, change of clothes, etc. We can do that sort of things for ourselves. So use that data, study yourself and use that data to create systems of support. Because when you have a good system and you know roughly what your moves are, people think, oh, that sounds so regimented, but it creates so much freedom. You have freedom to go, I'm here talking to you today. <clears throat> and when you said it, I was like, yeah, 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 whatever time, because this is my CEO day. This is the day I do the things that put me in a embodied state where I can make 
um, chief executive officer decisions, whether that's about my life or about my work. I've scheduled daydreaming time and all sorts. I love to gaze. I'm a daydreamer. I'm not going to tell myself off for it anymore. I give myself time to do it. If the daydream comes, great. If it doesn't come, then it doesn't come. But I give myself time to do it. So now... When I go and sit in my pink contemplation chair, my body knows what time it is. And those are the sort of things that happen. So like give, like we say, um, oh, I, I don't have enough time. I need to make time. Oh, well, not make time because people don't, I don't have time. I don't have enough time. Make the time. You've got the time you make. And there's none of us out here that is running an entire country. None of us out here are running an entire country. Look at your system. Look at your systems of support. And mothers are the ones that smash this, mothers of younger children. You don't have that unless the father of your child is not involved at all. Most of the time, the vast majority of women I speak to that talk about not having enough time because of the children, their partner is in the house. Look at what support you can get within your home. And if that is not available to you, wake up 15 minutes earlier. I'm not going to tell you to wake up at 5 a.m. and do the squats and namyo ho rengeikyo, but 15 minutes earlier, <laughs> giving yourself that moment in time, that one moment in time. Yes, Tamu, listen, that, listen. That, that, like, literally, because the thing is, we're always reaching for the big thing go on holiday, go on a retreat, book this course, get a massage, da-da-da. Life happens in the micro. We make micro decisions, micro choices all the time, and they come together to make our life. So if you're making a micro choice that five minutes every day, I'm going to start the day, uh, or maybe even seven minutes, because I know for sure Adrian, Yoga with Adrian on YouTube, she's got a seven-minute yoga video. If you say to yourself, five times a week, I'm going to give my, I'm going to do seven minutes of yoga with this video. That's 35 minutes a week across a month. How long is that across a quarter? How long is that across a year? How long across a lifetime? How long is that? It's better than nothing. It's, 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 we, we have a series of things we weave together and that's what becomes life. If you're constantly waiting for the right environment for things to be the way it needs to be, you're just not going to do it. And if you don't take the time and do it, people will take your time and do what they want with it. Amen. Amen. Does it? That's all. I can't even remember what you asked me. My brain's gone like helter-skelter. Um, like, oh, the other thing I would say is to give yourself a break. Stop being so hard on yourself. All this talk about discipline, consistency, that's from the Victorian times. We're not sending people off to workhouses and all of that. We are able to do so much more for ourselves and the people around us when we're compassionate. Because when we're compassionate, we can look beyond, oh, I'm just not doing this thing. I know this thing. Why aren't I doing it? You're able to say, well, why am I resisting this thing? Why am I not doing something I know will be supportive for me? And you'll be able to get to the truth of the matter. Sometimes we don't want to do it. We just think we should be doing it. Have some compassion. Forgive yourself. We have, we have ourselves in a chokehold because we didn't know what we didn't know when we didn't know it. Well, we didn't know. <laughs> you know it now cool. Maybe you weren't meant to know all those years time. Like 
give yourself some compassion. Talk to yourself the way you would talk to a best friend, not pathologizing yourself. Oh, I never do this. I'm always doing that. Stop making yourself a victim of your life. Work in partnership with your life. If something's not working out, well, what is it about this partnership that isn't working? Because sometimes, or not sometimes, most of the time, we make it about us. It might be the environment you're in. It might be the season of life you're in. I speak to women who have got very small children. You're not doing all of this excitement you want to do when you've got three children under five and you don't have any childcare support other than school and nursery. This ain't the season for that. I say all the time, if you're supposed to plant pumpkin seeds in April, you'll have the support of the environment, the weather changes, the seasons, and you'll harvest that thing in October. If you decide to plant pumpkin seeds in October, you're going to bust your ass trying to nurture that um, plant, and it's not the environment to do so. And at the end, in April, when you're trying to yield that crop, you'll be lucky if you have a leaf, and then you'll say, oh, I should have worked harder. No, the environment and the season wasn't right. So stop, like, let's just cut out being hard on ourselves. And sometimes we have to literally be stern with ourselves and say, I'm not doing that today. I'm not telling myself off today. I'm not doing it. Listen, when Sarita edits this, I can see this clip being used with some rousing music. Listen. As my man in Amistad said, give us free. Let's give ourselves freedom. Give me, give me free. Let me give myself, let me give myself the freedom to be who I am. Because for all the moans, for all the gripes, I'm all right. I'm yeah. all right. Where could our lovely listeners um, find you, Tammy? Uh, the best place to find me, uh, as much as I'm always threatening that space, is um, Instagram. Uh, and I'm just threatening it because I'm just I'm just such a consumer there. It's um, it's not ridiculous. It is what it is. But anyway, the best place to find me is Instagram at live360, L-I-V-E-T-H-R-E-E-S-I-X-T-Y. Most of the stuff I'm thinking about doing whatever I share on there. Um, and I would say join my newsletter, but I've decided that my newsletter is a marketing tool. So I use it to sell and tell people about what I'm doing. But I've got a sub stack, uh, which is called Making Peace with Boredom and Getting the Reps In. Um, I'm going to start using that Substack space soon. And that would be a place where I share what's on my mind, what's on my heart, things that I think will be encouraging and supporting for us humans. Um, so that will be another good place. But you'll hear all about what I'm doing on Substack on Instagram. So basically, after all that, come <laughs> find me on Instagram. <laughs> Instagram. Fantastic. And have you got any um, anything that you wanted to promote or things coming up? Nah. No. Okay. That's cool. Hi. Thank you so much. And we're going to see you in season two and on the gram. And hopefully in real life soon, please. Yeah, man. Damn. Yeah. We have to sort this out. Okay. Thank you. I love it. Thank you so much, Tamu. And every week I do say, and I'm just, I should just do some kind of pre-recorded bit of this, like, hey, I want everyone to come back next time. We've got so much more to unpack. But you know what? We can. Because there's so many different types of topics, and yeah, yeah. Tamu is like an expert 
in so many different types of fields and we could go on for days about this so yeah and days and days let Season me tell two. you let me tell Season you what two. you need to do <laughs> what we need is women who rebrand roadshow oh well i've been thinking about this i have no i have see don't even yeah, try yeah. it yeah, your yeah, schedule yeah. your schedule won't allow it at the moment, however... It's not the right environment. It's not the right forward. season. <laughs> yeah, you, pl- you just plant the seeds <laughs> to yield... forward. Yeah. yeah this we... needs to be like going around town. Panels yeah. and all that. It's on the cards. It is there. I see it. In, I foresee it. I foresee yeah. it when we're Good. ready. But yeah, season, season two, um, next year. Or even I say next year, but I I see September as the end of the year. I've always seen Academic September year. as the end. Of... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's like yeah. that's the start. I'm with Autumn. You. Yeah, yeah. We'll see it. We'll see it. Thank you so yeah. much. Mm. Thank you guys. Thank Amazing. you. Amazing. Thank you. Take care. Bye. 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 Women who rebrand the podcast. Honest and humorous conversations about the transitional phases people experience to grow, start over or rebrand to become their most authentic selves. Hosted by former mummy bloggers Sarita Fontaine and Chioma Olaleye and guest featuring professional rebranders. The podcast covers starting over at different stages of life, championing personal growth, aka a personal rebrand.